Hello, and welcome to The Roundup. My name is Nick Saba with The Impact. I'm Drew Gretzka, and a campus investigative reporter for State News. I'm Hunter Gadwell, and I'm a producer for Focal Point News. I'm Julie Newell. I'm the editor-in-chief at the LCC Lookout. So this is a new show where we all get together from our personal organizations and talk about varying topics of the week. So the main topic that we're planning on talking about this week is last weekend's uh, wild festivities after the Michigan State-Michigan football game. So there were uh, a record number of complaints at the police station since, I mean, the 90s. And five different arrests were made, multiple couches set on fire, a couple cars flipped, and even one missing person. So I want to know a bit about what you guys think. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll start us off. So um, I was uh, the main state news reporter alongside my photographer, uh, Lauren, uh, on Saturday in Cedar Village was where a lot of that stuff came down. Um, the first vehicle that out of two were flipped there, um, and I was able to cover that pretty closely. And it was, I mean, I've I've been, you know, at State for three years now. Um, I've seen, you know, I've seen some couch burnings. I've seen a lot of big crowds throwing things, you know. I'd, I've seen riot police. It's, it's almost like a tradition here, unfortunately. Um, but this weekend was something else, um, for sure. It was it was vastly different than, for example, like when we beat Duke a few years ago. The car flipping was it was a lot, uh, to say the least. Yeah, I I don't really, I've never seen anything quite like that in my life. So it was definitely an experience. I think this is a prime example of people taking a good thing, going too far with it, and turning it bad. I mean, we win this game. It's a great feeling on campus. Next thing you know. A car is being flipped over. There's a missing person. And it just makes our school look so bad. And I love Michigan State, and I don't want the actions of these few people to be representative as a whole. But with social media, it does not make us look good. Like, no one's remembering the win. Everyone's remembering these bad things that have happened. Yeah, I just think it's really ridiculous and juvenile. I mean, like, I honestly don't understand the logic of it. I get, like, getting excited. Like, yeah, we won. It's awesome. But why... Why go to this, like, extent? Why to go to this level? I really don't understand. I especially don't understand. Is this, like, a tradition to burn the couches? Yeah. uh, Burning couches is very much an East Lansing tradition, uh, for better or worse. Um, And people have kind of accepted that. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think when you start destroying anything except couches, people kind of start to take notice a lot more. But why couches? It's just been like that since, like, the (laughs) 80s. I really... There's no, like, definitive source. I have a question. Uh... In Cedar Village, there's oftentimes pairs of shoes that are thrown up on the wires. I still don't understand what that is for. So, okay, I didn't know either. My friend lives in Cedar Village, so I asked her. So take this as you will. This is a legend. I think it's at the end of your time at MSU. Most people have a pair of shoes they wear to the bar they wear out, so they get, like, really dirty and messed up. So when they graduate, they're like, okay, like. Let's celebrate and throw them up there. Because if you look at all the shoes, they're all like, they look like they've been through war. So I I think that's what it is. And this isn't (laughs) just like a Cedar Village thing. So I'm actually not from the Lansing area. I'm from South Haven, um, which is two hours away from here. And actually in the bad parts of the general area, having the shoes thrown up onto the wires was actually um, a gang thing. So it was to show the territory of the gangs. Um, And also because... People are stupid and they like to throw them up there. So you really couldn't tell if it was really f- part of the gang thing. I think that's kind of a myth, but also at the same time, I would believe it. 
Um, <laughs> I don't think that's the case in East Lansing, admittedly. Um, but I mean, I could definitely see that in other uh, other areas for sure. Yeah, it's it's really weird, but yeah, that's what I was told at least in um, the not so great parts of the area that I grew up in. So. So I have a question for you. You reporting for the state news, have you had any contact with the ELPD about, I guess, their opinions on this matter? Right. Um, I personally have not uh, been in a lot of contact with ELPD. That's more uh, with G.L. Kamau, which is our Cops and Courts reporter. Um, but she's been in like constant contact with them, especially with the missing person case. Um, I don't think they've really given any, you know, opinions because that's, you know, not really their place. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I I can only assume that it's frustrating. Um, they almost, I believe, they had a borderline record amount of calls, um, especially fires and stuff like that as well. Um, there, I've heard, you know, I read that they're doing sixteen-hour workdays, um, especially on Saturday. Um, so I I can't imagine that they're you know super pleased with the situation. But I, I have not heard any direct quotes from any officers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have a general question. Do you guys think it's possible to stop this from happening again? Are there any steps that MSU can take or East Lansing can take to kind of limit the amount of of property damage that has been occurring on crazier football game weekends? I, I think here's what something I would know. Um, I was I got to Cedar Village um, about you know five minutes, ten minutes. Uh, in game time in the fourth quarter. Um, and I noticed that there's a lot of police presence, right? And it's ironic because me and my photographer, we were talking to each other. We said, oh, I, I don't know if there's going to be that much. You know, there's a lot of police here. Maybe people are going to be a little too scared to do anything. But once it ramped up, once the crowd formed, the police can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could say, oh, they could, you know, throw tear gas or something like that. But I, I don't think they're going to do that unless someone's in serious danger. Um, and you could make that case the car flipping, but regardless, um, the fact of the matter is, you know, when a thousand students are, you know, all in one space and you, cops can't do anything, uh, the EOPD does not have the personnel to really deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure there's a strategy that would be more effective in the future. Uh, but as of right now, I mean, there's really not much police can do in a situation like that. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that. I feel like couch burning is such a big MSU tradition, so I don't see that going away anytime soon. But as for the car flipping, I don't know if this has happened in years past. To my knowledge, it has, and this is the first time I've heard about it happening. But I feel like since the general consensus, everyone's saying this is wrong, I'm hoping everyone internalizes that. And for next time, it's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe this isn't as funny as we think it is. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think there's really much they can do. And especially when mob mentality takes over with a big group of people, I mean, that can be very influential and very hard to get out of. Um, I really don't think there's much they can do, sadly. Um, I'm Like you said, I'm really hoping that people realize this, but also with how much social media has grown in the past couple decades. I mean, in just the past decade alone with social media, it just... I seriously doubt that there's going to be anything to change it, and I really hope it doesn't get worse, but honestly, anything would not surprise me at this point. Do you guys think that social media things, so, for example, Barstool, mm-hmm. is, at the end of the day, uh, a positive thing that's that can be entertaining or a more negative in terms of, you know, causing things like this? Ooh, I mean... Okay, so for the bar stool, when I saw the video get posted of the car getting flipped over, my 
initial reaction, I was just upset that whoever's running the account was like, this is funny. Let's post this about MSU. I'm like, that makes our school look so bad. But after reading the comments, most people are saying that it's wrong, that they're against it. So I'm hoping this is just a prime example of what not to do. But that might be me being an optimist and thinking people are innately good. <laughs> right. I, I, I think I had a lot of people in my comments, you know, essentially blaming Barstool culture for this. Um, you know, I'm not the one to jump to Barstool's defense by any means, but I don't really think you can put this on them. Um, yes, you know, they spread the videos, but the fact of the matter is reporters do that. But I guess my point is I don't think Barstool really influences as much as people uh, may think. I think social media in general is just um, there's pros and cons to both. There's pros and cons to social media. I mean, great thing is, is that we get the news out a lot quicker and a lot more people can have access to it. However whether some of that stuff that is posted is true or not and if some of it can get out of hand that's another thing so there's pros and cons to both um i don't know i i don't really know what barstool is but i just i actually saw the video on tiktok um <laughs> i saw a tiktok of what was going on so um and then obviously i saw it on the news later um but yeah i don't know so i do kind of want to just branch off a little bit um just instead of talking about specifically the weekend uh, I want to focus a bit on social media in general. Do you guys have general opinions on the different social media sites? Um, like Facebook is now in charge of not only its own brand, but things like Instagram. So being able to share lots of things very quickly, very rapidly, that are maybe not the best. For example, the past weekend, mm -hmm. there's lots of videos being posted of things that are borderline legal. Uh, do you think that it is up to the social media platforms to kind of stand against it? Or do you think that it is more in the user's hands? Ooh. That's, that's, a that's a tough one. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, not to be that guy. I, I think that you can see both sides, right? Um, I think there's a limit. I, I think that, you know, social media sites need to take accountability when there's, you know, uh, hate speech and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, however, in a, in a situation like this uh, where people are recording, you know, a car getting flipped, a couch getting burned, um, I would argue that those videos are going to end up online no matter what. Um, I think to take that away uh, kind of negates, you know, a little bit of, you know, for example, I depend on social media to cover an event like this. Um, so I, it's it's how you disperse information in today's world, unfortunately, or for better or worse. So, Yeah, and I also think, I mean, it'd be one thing if it was misinformation or disinformation, but in a situation like the car flipping, that did happen. And is it good news? No, but I still think we need to see it because how else are we going to learn from something if we don't see it and put it to the forefront? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think it's kind of on both. Um, like you said, with the hate speech and stuff like that, I think that's something that needs to be regulated. I think certain things should be regulated on social media, but I don't think they should just like take away because it is our right to be able to post. I mean, we should be careful what you post. It really should be on the person to have common sense mm -hmm. and to know what's okay to say and what's okay not to say. Um, sadly, a lot of people tend to not have a lot of common <laughs> sense. Um, but, you know, I think it's on both parties. They really just need to use their brain and know what is okay and what is not okay. I have a question for the group. So this is on the topic of social media. 
What would you guys think if social media had essentially like nine to five hours where after five o'clock, all sites shut down, you couldn't go on it? Would you guys be for that, against that? What are your thoughts? So I have heard that argument before. And my main problem with it is that we are in such a global world right now mm -hmm. that a nine to five, even in New York, is significantly different than someone just on the other side of the US. Mm -hmm. So that the time zone differences make it almost impossible, let alone trying to talk with someone in Europe would mm -hmm. make it uh, nigh impossible. Right. And you could make the argument for like lifestyles too. You know, if you work in a restaurant every night or every night and I'm, I take that back, sorry. Um, but like, for example, if you want to get on social media uh, after work, I mean, that's kind of unfortunate that they can't do that um, anymore. And also, I mean, we live in a world that information is constantly uh, flowing. Um, and I, I think that if you were to cut that off for, you know, 12 hours a day, I think that'd be, um, it'd have a lot of ripple effects, um, mm -hmm. in how people stay informed, how people make decisions. Um, you know, for example, uh, if we can't get information out about, you know, a riot down in Cedar village, um, how are people going to know not to go down there, uh, if it's after 5 PM? So. Yeah, I agree. I, I honestly think it would do more harm than good completely honest and the whole nine to five thing a nine to five job is very rare nowadays to be completely honest i mean my dad technically kind of has a nine to five job but he always stays late at work especially during his busy season um and he works in an off in an office and it's just you know and especially for reporters i mean we're basically constantly on the clock i i don't have like a nine to five job you know i mean i have obviously i'm not working at three in the morning but I mean, you know, you got to be able to go and do something at the last minute. You know, boss calls me up. Hey, I need you to cover this thing. You know, you have to be ready for it. And if all that were to shut down, we wouldn't know about anything. We wouldn't be able to really keep in contact with a lot of people. Like you said, it's all the different time zones, especially around the world. Social media is kind of how we connect to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a pro is that we're able to connect to people who we don't normally connect to, which is great. The gray area for me mm -hmm. is when it comes to uh, enforcing limits with, with children. Uh, because should we impose uh, general limits on children? Because a lot of parents will just put their kid in front of a screen to distract him. Mm -hmm. And frankly, most of the time I can't blame them because it is an easy way of, of getting them to they interact with something right, for right. a while. But... Is it in our power, and by our, I mean, you know, uh, whether that's the, the government or or whomever, is it within a power to restrict the will of a parent if they are doing something that is objectionably wrong with their children? Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone can agree that too much social media is a bad thing, whether it's news fatigue, whether it's like, you know, um, body image issues, too much of it, not a good thing. So I feel like it, it's all subjective. It's up to the person to figure out what are my limits and be disciplined enough to follow those limits. Yeah, I completely agree, um, especially with the parenting. I think the and this is just a general, obviously not everybody falls under this umbrella, but I think parenting has become really lazy since social media has come out and technology has improved and everything. I just think that parents aren't really wanting to do so much and keep track of that kind of stuff because they're like, oh, I can just set my kid in front of the TV and they're good for several hours. Like, I don't know. I feel like that's a very negative thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to have, like, 
I don't know, like maybe the TV playing in the background for like background noise. I know I do that all the time when I'm doing homework. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even paying attention. It's just background noise. But like, I definitely think the um, screen time should be restricted for children because I don't think it's very beneficial for their health in any sense of the word for mental or physical or just in growing in their education and their skills that they need to learn. I think there should be a limited time for them to be on any type of technology. Right. I, I don't know how about, I feel about like governmentally regulating it, um, but right. I do think there is a, something to be said about, you know, limiting uh, social media use, you know, in children and adults. I mean, I think it's important for all of us to limit social media use. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if, like I said, I don't know if I'd be in favor of, you know, putting a regulation in or something like that. But I do think that parents need to be informed about the negative effects um, prolonged use of social media on their children may have on them. So just recently, and we'll probably move on to another topic after this, but um, China recently put into place uh, a ban on for children to be able to play video games after a certain point. Um, I'm not sure if it's gotten passed through their government yet, as it is a complicated mess over there. But if that does set a, a precedent, do you think other countries will start following and limiting the amount of time that people can spend on the Internet? I think it's all about the effects. If they see very positive effects on it, then I could see other countries following suit. But also, I don't know, like in a like the United States, autonomy and freedom are like very like things that typically are very important to people. So the idea of like putting that limit and following China's way, I don't know how many people would be apt to do that. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I, I mean, it's definitely something I think a lot of governments will consider if it's successful, but to actually implement it in a lot of countries such as the U.S. or really anywhere in the world, every country's different, uh, would be a, a very big challenge. I feel like how, with how things are today, um, I feel like it would be very difficult to have that implemented in the U.S., especially with everybody's opinions about freedom and everything um, with their rights and stuff like that. I feel like it would be very difficult to implement. I don't think it would get very far in the United States. Yeah, I think I, I agree. Um, I think it's a policy that is mistaken. I think it's something that is is a control method that may not end up being what they're hoping it is. Uh, the more you restrict something, the more people want to have it. That's just the case of human mm-hmm. nature. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, if you are all comfortable moving on, uh, I figured... Julie, would you like to start with your topic today? Sure. Um, so my topic that I just kind of, kind of wanted to just have a general general discussion about is the uh, luxury tax on women's menstrual products, also known as the tampon tax or the pink tax. So this is something that's kind of worldwide. There's um, in a lot of countries, it's the same way, but especially in the U.S. Um, in Michigan um, this week. It's been put into a bill, and half of it was signed yesterday by Governor Whitmer to repeal the tax on menstrual um, items for women, which is fantastic. I think um, the it's a 6% tax, and honestly, I think calling it a quote-unquote luxury tax is just completely ridiculous. It's not a luxury. <laughs> having, having your period is not a luxury, and the fact that we were taxed for necessities is just absolutely ridiculous um but there are 30 states in the united states still have this tampon tax i don't remember if that include i don't i think that's excluding michigan 
think I excluded Michigan since um, today she's going to be Governor Whitmer is going to be signing the other half of the bill to repeal it. Um, so again, super big thing. Super excited about it. But yeah, it's just honestly, I think having a tax on it to begin with, I don't I couldn't find where when it started. Um, but it was absolutely ridiculous, I think, just to have that on there because other necessity products don't have taxes on on them for that kind of thing. And it's just, yeah, I just think it's ridiculous. Um, but like it's a big thing that happens with all women. I mean, if, starting from the age of like, I think like 12 up until like I think it goes on for like 30, 40 years, depending on when you start menopause. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's something that happens for at the least a week every month throughout the entire life, um, for, throughout women's entire lives. And it's just like, this is a necessity and we don't want it. <laughs> it's not something that we chose. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited about the fact that it's going to be repealed in Michigan. Yeah, me too. Like you said, the fact that they ever called it a luxury is comical because it's not at all. So I think it's about time and I'm happy Gretchen was the person to do this. I think it's only fitting. I feel like she's a very powerful woman, so I feel like this very much goes with everything she stands for. Yeah, I, I agree that I don't really have any uh, extra points to add, especially Smart as the man. only guy in the room. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, it almost reminded me a bit of the EpiPen price hike mm. when that happened because um, it was just like an essential product is being restricted to a point where people are finding it very difficult to acquire them. Um, And it's something that's obviously necessary for a considerable part of the population. Right. A lot of stuff like that, like EpiPens, um, insulin, all that kind of stuff, the prices for those are extremely high. Like I I have um, allergies that I'm very close to becoming severe and impossible need of an EpiPen. If I get more reactions, they could possibly get worse the more I have a reaction. Thankfully, I haven't needed to get an EpiPen so far because they are very expensive. <laughs> so, yeah, things like that, I feel like it, it's just unnecessary to have them be so high of a price and have a tax on them. I hate to broaden this into healthcare in the U.S., but the healthcare system here is the reason why these things are so expensive to yes. begin with. An ambulance ride can cost hundreds of dollars. At what point uh, is it become kind of ridiculous? Uh, Canada has a a quote-unquote socialized uh, medicine program, and they can perform huge operations and cost almost nothing. Do you think that that is something that could happen in the U.S. or should happen in the U.S.? In a perfect world, for me, yes. I don't think that the amount of money in your bank account should dictate the quality of health care you receive. But I find that whenever I make that argument, I'm like, well, we should follow suit with Canada. The response I typically get is, yeah, but back like there, the treatment isn't as good. So you're like risking like quality versus quantity type of things. And to be honest, I feel like I'm not educated enough on the issue to give a an exact answer, but I always go back to, like I said, I don't think your bank account should dictate your quality of health. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I would say that, you know, I, I think we should be very cautious in making direct comparisons to other countries. I think we hear that quite a bit with the healthcare conversation is, uh, what about the Nordic states? What about Canada? Um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, those are great systems for, you know, that country. Um, they all can be approved, They but they are all very well, uh, very good, I should say. Um, I think that universal health care 
some sort of form of it is going to be in the U.S. at some point. I, I think it's inevitable. I, I mean, who knows when it's going to happen, but I think it is inevitable. Um, but I do think that it needs to be specifically American, uh, specifically catered to our system and our healthcare um, what's the word, sphere. I agree. I think I think it's going to be a very difficult process. Um, I am optimistic and think that it could happen sometime in the future. Um, however, I am also somewhat pessimistic and think that it probably will not happen in my lifetime, uh, <laughs> just with how messed up the system is. But I also think that it's just going to be a long road to do that. Same thing with like education. A lot of times we'll compare to other countries and stuff like that. I think what a lot of people don't realize is in order to have like free tuition and and universal health care and stuff like that, the money has to come from somewhere. Okay, it doesn't just go away. So how they, you know, balance that in other countries is higher taxes. And people think higher taxes and they're like, oh, my gosh, no, I don't want to pay more taxes. Are you kidding me? And they're like, "Okay, well, you got to give something because it it doesn't just disappear. Right. And I mean, that comes back down to uh, like every situation, every country is different. Right. Um, A lot of the Nordic states subsidize their uh, natural resources, for example, and that's how they pay for a lot of their social benefits. We don't have that here in the United States. Um, so I think that once again, we need to take a very American approach to it if we're going to pass it one day. Right. All right. So moving on to our last topic, uh, Hunter. Yes. Yes. Okay. So obviously the worker shortage is not a new topic, but I feel like now in East Lansing, we're finally seeing the negative effects of it. For example, Los Tres Amigos shut down due to the shortage, the Cosmos, which was originally Punk Taco. They shut down, and that's a mix of the shortage as well as just a lack of business, but I think we're finally seeing like the detrimental effects of it. And on campus, in a recent episode of Focal Point, the chief communications officer, Kat Cooper, said MSU needed at least 1,200 more food service workers to get back to how things were before the pandemic, which is a crazy number. I That, to me, when I heard that, that was crazy, and some workers are working 70 to 80 hours a week and MSU has paid 3,000 hours in overtime. So I guess my question for you guys is, why is there such a shortage? With pandemic unemployment no longer available, why are people not working? So my short version of it is people, especially in the U.S., enjoy their freedom. And now for the first time, they're able to break away from, from jobs that are toxic from from places that are toxic they want adequate pay and i mean this is coming just just for me this is a, my own opinion of it but michigan state simply needs to offer more uh if they want people to work for them they need to make it incentivized they can't go back to the way things were people want better jobs people want more money it's just the way that uh, our society has gotten out of the pandemic yeah yeah i guess i'm always torn between the mindset of okay this is a good thing people are demanding more maybe we'll see a societal change and i don't know if this comes from my parents like breaking the cycle of poverty within their family and having like a you know take no am i allowed to cuss no (laughs) (laughs) take no insert word here attitude (laughs) i'm like are people just being lazy so i guess i'm constantly torn between those two beliefs but after hearing what you're saying i do agree that i do think changes need to be made 
Right. I, I'm doing actually quite a bit of reporting on the shortage in the dining hall specifically, and you talked to Cat Cooper. Um, and the one thing I keep hearing is there are people who want to work. This isn't this doesn't come down to, you know, people aren't coming out. In fact, they have technically, you know, hired, quote unquote, a lot more people than are actually working. Um, but there's a huge pipeline that's backed up way, way back. Um, and they're making progress because they're slowly getting people through that pipeline. Um, I, I recently, I, th- I believe this was about two weeks ago when they asked uh, the faculty to volunteer in the dining halls. Um, they were only down 50 people in a night compared to 90 a month before. So they're making progress. Um, it does. They are, you know, at they are offering a decent wage, um, compared, at least compared to local businesses. Um, I think students want to work in the dining halls. It's just going to take some time to get everyone through that hiring process. And then there's an example, Mitten Rays, which is a coffee shop on Grand River. They have seen an increase in business, but they've been having to turn down customers due to a worker shortage, which I feel like is a really interesting phenomenon because like lots of like businesses, like the Cosmos, they took a hit with their business. But Mitten Rays... They're as busy as ever, but they don't have enough workers. Yeah, um, I think it's also because, partially because people are kind of picky um, about their jobs. So, like, a lot of food service places are shutting down or having to close early and stuff like that. And I think it's because people are really picky. They're like, ugh, I don't want to work in food service. Like, I, they're very picky about what jobs they want, especially, I'm not saying this is, like, completely negative, but, like, some people lost their jobs during the pandemic and they don't want to go and get a job at McDonald's if they had like a job, you know, in a night's office or whatever, you know, they don't, they feel like it's a downgrade Mm -hmm. in some way. Um, But I also feel like with the money thing, you kind of have to be careful with that because yes, it's, I think it's good. I think um, a lot of changes are good for this, but however, you have to um, be careful because if you try and raise the prices for like minimum wage and stuff like that, you might get close to the same wages for some people who have, longer jobs or bigger jobs. Thank you for tuning in. This has been The Roundup on WDBM 89.9.